section eleven of an american idol this librivox recording is in the public domain recorded by mary schneider an american idol the life of carlton h parker by cornelia stratton parker chapter eleven about this time we had a friend come into our lives who was destined to mean great things to the parkers max rosenberg he had heard carl lecture once or twice had met him through our dear friend dr brown and a warm friendship had developed in the spring of nineteen sixteen we were somewhat tempted by a call to another university seventeen hundred was really not a fortune to live on and to make both ends meet and prepare for the june bugs coming carl had to use every spare minute lecturing outside it discouraged him for he had no time left to read and study so when a call came that appealed to us in several ways besides paying a much larger salary we seriously considered it about then uncle max rang up from san francisco and asked carl to see him before answering the other university and an appointment was made for that afternoon i was to be at a formal luncheon but told carl to be sure to call me up the minute he left max we wondered so hard what he might mean and what he did mean was the most wonderful idea that ever entered a friend's head he felt that carl had a real message to give the world and that he should write a book he also realized that it was impossible to find time for a book under the circumstances therefore he proposed that carl should take a year's leave of absence and let max finance him not only just finance him but allow for a trip throughout the east for him to get the inspiration of contact with other men in his field and enough withal so that there should be no skimping anywhere and the little family at home should have everything they needed it seemed to us something too wonderful to believe i remember going back to the lunch table after carl had telephoned me only the broadest details wondering if it were the same world that book we had dreamed of writing that book for so many years the material to be in it changed continually but always the longing to write and no time no hopes of any chance to do it and the june bug coming and more need for money hence more outside lectures than ever i have no love for the university of california when i think of that seventeen hundred dollars i quote from an article that came out in new york it is an astounding fact which his university must explain that he with his great abilities as teacher and leader his wide travel and experience and training received from the university in his last year of service there a salary of seventeen hundred a year the west does not repay commercial genius like that for days after max's offer we hardly knew we were on earth it was so very much the most wonderful thing that could have happened to us our friends had long ago adopted the phrase just parker luck and here was an example if there ever was one parker luck indeed it was this all meant to get the fullness out of it that carl must make a trip of at least four months in the east at first he planned to return in the middle of it and then go back again but somehow four months spent as we planned it out for him seemed so absolutely marvelous an opportunity of a lifetime that joy for him was greater in my soul than the dread of separation it was different from any other parting we ever had i was bound that i would not shed a single tear when i saw him off even though it meant the longest time apart we had experienced 
Three nights before he left, being a bit blue about things for all our fine talk, we prowled down our hillside and found our way to our first Charlie Chaplin film. We laughed until we cried. We really did. So that night, seeing Carl off, we went over that Charlie Chaplin film in detail and let ourselves think and talk of nothing else. We laughed all over again, and Carl went off laughing, and I waved goodbye laughing. Bless that Charlie Chaplin film. It would not take much imagination to realize what that trip meant to Carl and through him to me. From the time he first felt the importance of the application of modern psychology to the study of economics, he became more and more intellectually isolated from his colleagues. They had no interest in, no sympathy for, no understanding of what he was driving at. From May, when college closed, to October, when he left for the East, he read prodigiously. He had a mind for assimilation. He knew where to store every new piece of knowledge he acquired, and kept thereby an orderly brain. He read more than a book a week. Everything he could lay hands on in psychology, anthropology, biology, philosophy, psychoanalysis, every field which he felt contributed to his own growing conviction that orthodox economics had served its day. And how he gloried in that reading! It had been years since he had been able to do anything but just keep up with his daily lectures. Such was the pressure he was working under. Bless his heart, he was always coming across something that was just too good to hold in, and I would hear him come upstairs two steps at a time, bolt into the kitchen, and say, Just listen to this. And he would read an extract from some new-found treasure that would make him glow. But outside of myself, and I was only able to keep up with him by the merest skimmings, and one or two others at most, there was no one who understood what he was driving at. As his reading and convictions grew, he waxed more and more outraged at the way economics was handled in his own university. He saw student after student having every ounce of intellectual curiosity ground out of them by a process of economic education that would stultify a genius. Any student who continued his economic studies did so in spite of the introductory work, not because he had one little ounce of enthusiasm aroused in his soul. Carl would walk the floor with his hands in his pockets when kindred spirits, especially students who had gone through the mill, and as seniors of graduates looked back outraged at certain courses they had had to flounder through, brought up the subject of economics at the University of California off he went on his pilgrimage his research magnificent absolutely unknown to almost every man he hoped to see before his return the first stop he made was at columbia missouri to see his idol veblen he quaked a bit beforehand had heard veblen might not see him but the second letter from missouri began just got in after thirteen hours with veblen it went wonderfully and i am tickled to death he okays my idea entirely and said I could not go wrong. Gee, but it is some grand experience to go up against him. In the next letter, he told of a graduate student who came out to get his advice regarding a thesis subject in labor. I told him to go to his New England home and study the reaction of machine industry on the life of the town. That is a typical Veblen subject. It scared the student to death, and Veblen chuckled over my advice. In Wisconsin, he was especially anxious to see Geyer. Of his visit with him, he wrote, 
it was a whiz of a session he is just my meat at yale he saw keller he is wonderful and is going to do a lot for me in criticism then began the daily letters from new york and every single letter not only from new york but from every other place he happened to be in baltimore philadelphia cambridge told of at least one intellectual event with a capital e a day no one ever lived who had a more stimulating experience friends would ask me what is the news from carl and i would just gasp every letter was so full of the new influences coming into his life that it was impossible to give even an idea of the history in the making that was going on with the parkers in the first days in new york he saw t h morgan i just walked in on him and introduced myself baldly and he's a corker a remarkable talker with a mind like a flash i am to see him again tomorrow will be a big day for me i see hollingsworth and very probably thorndyke and i'll know then something of what i'll get out of new york next day called on hollingsworth to-day he gave me some invaluable data and opinions to-morrow i see thorndyke and the next day i'm so joyful and excited over thorndyke he was so enthusiastic over my work he at once had brass tack ideas said i was right that strikes usually started because of small and very human violations of man's innate dispositions later he called on professor w c mitchell he went into my thesis very fully and is all for it professor mitchell knows more than any one the importance of psychology to economics and he is all for my study gee but i get excited after such a session i bet i'll get out a real book my girl after one week in new york he wrote the trip has paid for itself now and i'm dead eager to view the time when i begin my writing later just got in from six-hour session with the most important group of employers in new york i sat in on a meeting of the building trades board where labor delegates and employers appeared after two hours of it awfully interesting the board took me to dinner and we talked labor stuff till ten thirty gee it was fine and i got oceans of stuff then came boaz and more visits with thorndyke tonight i put in six hours with thorndyke and am pleased plumb to death under his friendly stimulus i developed a heap of new ideas and say wait till i begin writing i'll have ten volumes at the present rate this visit with thorndyke was worth the whole trip and in turn thorndyke wrote me the days that he and i spent in new york talking of these things are one of my finest memories and i appreciate the chance that let me meet him he wrote from the harvard club where walter lippmann put him up the dad is a prominent club man just lolled back at lunch in a room with animals stuffed all around the walls and waiters flying about and a ceiling up a mile gee later i just had a most wonderful visit with the director of national committee for mental hygiene dr solman and he is a whiz a whiz next day had a remarkable visit with dr gregory this a m he is one of the greatest psychiatrists in new york and up on bulkings business tension and the mental effect of monotonous work he was so worked up over my explanation of unrest a mental status through instinct bulkings other than sex that he asked if i would consider using his big psychopathic ward as a laboratory field for my own work then he dated me up for a luncheon at which three of the biggest mental specialists in new york will be present to talk over the manner in which psychiatry will aid my research 
i can't say how tickled i am over his attitude next letter at ten reached dr pierce bailey's the big psychiatrist and for an hour and a half we talked and i was simply tickled to death he is really a wonder and i was very enthused before leaving he said you come to dinner friday night here and i will have dr patton from princeton and i'll get in some more to meet you then i beat it to the new republic offices and sat down to dinner with the staff plus robert bruer and the subject became what is a labor policy the dad he did his share he did and had a great row with walter lippmann and bruer walter lippmann said this won't do you have made me doubt a lot of things you come to lunch with me friday at the harvard club and we'll thrash it all out says i all right then says crowley this won't do we'll have a dinner here the following monday night and i'll get felix frankfurter down from boston and we'll thrash it out some more says i all right and says mr crowley private you come to dinner with us on sunday all right says dad dr gregory has me with dr solman on monday and harry overstreet on wednesday thorndyke on saturday and gee but i'll beat it for new haven on thursday or i'll die of uptorn brain are you realizing what this all meant to carl until recently reading and pegging away unencouraged in his basement study up in the berkeley hills the next day he heard roosevelt at the ritz carlton then i watched that remarkable man wind the crowd almost around his finger it was great and pure psychology and say fool women and some fool men but t r went on blithely as if every one was an intellectual giant that night dinner with winston churchill next letter had a simply superb talk with hollingsworth for two and a half hours this afternoon the dinner was the four biggest psychiatrists in new york and dad made me simply yell it did it was for my book simply superb all is going so wonderfully next day now about the thorndyke dinner it was grand i can't tell you how much these talks are maturing my ideas about the book i think in a different plane and am certain that my ideas are sure there have come up a lot of odd problems touching the conflict so-called between intelligence and instinct and these i'm getting thrashed out grandly after the second new republic dinner he wrote lots of important people there felix frankfurter two judges the two goldmarks pierce bailey etc and the whole staff had been all day with dr gregory and other psychiatrists and had met police commissioner woods a wonderfully rich day i must run for a date with professor robinson and then to meet howe the immigration commissioner then a trip to ellis island and at midnight that same date he wrote just had a most truly remarkable eight thirty to twelve visit with professor robinson he who wrote that european history we bought in germany then a trip to philadelphia being dined and entertained by various members of the wharton school faculty then the yale harvard game followed by three days and two nights in the psychopathic ward at sing sing i found in the psychiatrist at the prison a true wonder dr gluck he has a viewpoint on instincts which differs from any one that i have met the next day back in new york just had a most remarkable visit with thomas mott osborne later in the same day just had an absolutely grand visit and lunch with walter lippmann it was about the best talk with regard to my book that i have had in the east he is an intellectual wonder and a big good-looking friendly boy i'm for him a million then his visit with john dewey 
I put up to him my regular questions, the main one being the importance of the conflict between MacDougall and Freudians. He was cordiality itself. I am expecting red-letter days with him. My knowledge of the subject is increasing fast. Then a visit with Irving Fisher at New Haven. The next night was simply remarkable. Irving Fisher took him to a banquet in New York in honor of some French dignitaries with President Wilson present at seven dollars a plate as to president wilson he was simply great almost the greatest in fact is the greatest speaker i have ever heard then a run down to cambridge every day crammed to the edges had breakfast with felix frankfurter he has the grand spirit and does so finely appreciate what my subject means he walked me down to see a friend of his lasky intellectually a sort of marvel knows psychology and philosophy cold grand talk then i called on professor gay and he dated me for a dinner tomorrow night luncheon given to me by professor tossig that was fine then i flew to see e b holt for an hour his second visit there had a grand visit and then at six was taken with gay to dinner with the visiting deans at the boston harvard club mr holt wrote i met mr parker briefly in the winter of nineteen sixteen seventeen briefly but so very delightfully I felt he was an ally and a brilliant one. I give these many details because you must appreciate what this new wonder world meant to a man who was considered nobody much by his own university. Then one day a mere card. This is honestly a day in which no two minutes of free time exist. So superbly grand has it gone and so fruitful for the book, the best of all yet. One of the biggest men in the United States, Canon of Harvard, asked me to arrange my thesis to be analyzed by a group of experts in the field. Next day, he wrote, up at 6.45 and at 7.30 I was at Professor Cannon's. I put my thesis up to him strong and got one of the most encouraging and stimulating receptions I have had. He took me in to meet his wife and said, this young man has stimulated and aroused me greatly we must get his thesis formally before a group later from new york from seven thirty to eleven thirty i argued with dr a a brill who translated all of freud and it was simply wonderful i came home at twelve and wrote up a lot later he went to washington with walter lippmann they ran into colonel house on the train and talked foreign relations for two and a half hours my hair stood on end at the importance of what he said from Washington, he wrote, I'm having one of the great experiences of my young life. Hurried full days in Philadelphia with most successful talk before the University of Pennsylvania Political and Social Science Conference. Successful was the report to me later of several who were present, and extreme kindness and hospitality from all the Horton group. He rushed to Baltimore, and at midnight, December 31st, he wrote, I had from 11.30 to 1 p.m. an absolute super grand talk with Adolf Meyer and John Watson. He is a grand young Southerner and simply knows his behavioristic psychology in a way to make one's hair stand up. We talked my plan clear out and they are enthusiastic. Things are going grandly. Next day. Just got in from dinner with Adolf Meyer. He is simply a wonder. At 9.30, I watched Dr. Campbell give a girl Freudian treatment for a suicide mania. She had been a worker in a straw hat factory and had a true industrial psychosis, the kind I am looking for. Then later, 
there is absolutely no doubt that the trip has been my making i have learned a lot of background things and standards that will put the stamp on my development almost every letter would tell of some visit which alone was worth the trip east around christmas time home longings got extra strong he wrote five letters in three days i really wish i could quote some from them where he said for instance my but it is good for a fellow to be with his family and awful to be away from it and again i want to be interrupted i do i am all for that i remember how jim and nan used to come into my study for a kiss and then go hastily out upon urgent affairs i'm for that i've got my own folk and they make the rest of the world thin and pale the blessedness of babies is beyond words but the blessedness of a wife is such that one can't start in on it then came the economic convention at columbus letters too full to begin to quote from here i'm simply having the time of my life everyone is here in a talk when he was asked to fill in at the last minute he presented two arguments why trade unions alone could not be depended on to bring desirable change in working conditions through collective bargaining one because they were numerically so few in contrast to the number of industrial workers and two because the reforms about to be demanded were technical medical and generally of scientific character and skilled experts employed by the state would be necessary back again in new york he wrote it just raises my hair to feel i'm not where a dad ought to be my blessed precious family i tell you there isn't anything in this world like a wife and babies and i'm for that life that puts me close i'm near smart enough to last a heap of years though when i see how my trip makes me feel alive in my head and enthusiastic i know it has been worth while along in january he worked his thesis up in writing last night i read my paper to the robinsons after the dinner and they had mr and mrs john dewey there a most superb and grand discussion followed the deweys going home at eleven thirty and i stayed to talk to one a m i slept dreaming wildly of the discussion then had an hour and a half with dewey on certain moot points that talk was even more superb and resultful to me and i'm just about ready to quit i need now to write and read i quote a bit here and there from a paper written in new york in nineteen seventeen because though hurriedly put together and never meant for publication it describes carl's newer approach to economics and especially to the problem of labor quote, in nineteen fourteen i was asked to investigate a riot among twenty eight hundred migratory hop pickers in california which had resulted in five deaths many-fold more wounded hysteria fear and a strange orgy of irresponsible persecution by the county authorities and on the side of the laborers conspiracy barn burnings sabotage and open revolutionary propaganda i had been teaching labor problems for a year and had studied them in two american universities under sidney webb in london and in four universities of germany i found that i had no fundamentals which could be called good tools with which to begin my analysis of this riot i felt myself merely a conventional if astonished onlooker before the theoretically abnormal but manifestly natural emotional activity which swept over california after what must have been a most usual intellectual cycle of first helplessness then conventional cataloguing some rationalizing some moralizing and an extensive feeling of shallowness and inferiority i called the job done 
By accident, somewhat later, I was loaned two books of Freud, and felt after the reading that I had found a scientific approach which might lead to the discovery of important fundamentals for a study of unrest and violence. Under this stimulation, I read during a year and a half general psychology, physiology, and anthropology, eugenics, all the special material I found on Mendelism, works in mental hygiene, feeble-mindedness, insanity evolution of morals and character and finally found a resting place in a field which seems to be best designated as abnormal and behavioristic psychology my quest throughout this experience seemed to be pretty steadily a search for those irreducible fundamentals which i could use in getting a technically decent opinion on that riot in grand phrases i was searching for the scientific standard of value to be used in analyzing human behavior economics which officially holds the analysis of labor problems has been allowed to devote itself almost entirely to the production of goods and to neglect entirely the consumption of goods and human organic welfare the lip homage given by orthodox economics to the field of consumption seems to be inspired merely by the feeling that disaster might overcome production if workers were starved or businessmen discouraged so while official economic science tinkers at its transient institutions which flourish in one decade and pass out in the next abnormal and behavioristic psychology physiology psychiatry are building in their laboratories by induction from human specimens of modern economic life a standard of human values and an elucidation of behavior fundamentals which alone we must use in our legislative or personal modification of modern civilization it does not seem an overstatement to say that orthodox economics has cleanly overlooked two of the most important generalizations about human life which can be phrased and those are that human life is dynamic that change movement evolution are its basic characteristics that self-expression and therefore freedom of choice and movement are prerequisites to a satisfying human state End quote. after giving a description of the instincts he writes quote, the importance to me of the following description of the innate tendencies or instincts lies in their relation to my main explanation of economic behavior which is first that these tendencies are persistent are less warped or modified by the environment than we believe that they function quite as they have for several hundred thousand years that they as motives in their various normal or perverted habit form can at times dominate singly the entire behavior and act as if they were a clear character dominant secondly that if the environment through any of the conventional instruments of repression such as religious orthodoxy university mental discipline economic inferiority imprisonment physical disfigurement such as short stature hairlip etc repress the full psychological expression in the field of these tendencies then a psychic revolt slipping into abnormal mental functioning takes place and society accuses the revolutionist of being either willfully inefficient alcoholic a syndicalist supersensitive and agnostic or insane End quote i hesitate somewhat to give his program as set forth in this paper i have already mentioned that it was written in the spring of nineteen seventeen and hurriedly 
in referring to this very paper in a letter from new york he said of course it is written in part to call out comments and so the statements are strong and unmodified let that fact then be borne in mind and also the fact that he may have altered his views somewhat in light of his further studies and readings although again such studies may only have strengthened the following ideas i cannot now trust to my memory for what discussion we may have had on the subject Quote, reform means a militant minority or to follow trotter a small herd this little herd would give counsel relief and recuperation to its members the members of the herd will be under merciless fire from the convention-ridden members of general society they will be branded outlaws radicals agnostics impossible crazy they will be lucky to be out of jail most of the time they will work by trial and study gaining wisdom by their errors as sidney webb and the fabians did in the end after a long time parts of the social sham will collapse as it did in england and small promises will become milestones of progress from where then can we gain recruits for this minority two real sources seem in existence the universities and the field of mental disease speculation and hospital experiment the one the universities with rare if wonderful exceptions are fairly hopeless the other is not only rich in promise but few realize how full in performance most of the literature which is gripping the great intellectual no-man's land of the silent readers is basing its appeal and its story on the rather uncolored and bald facts which come from freud trotter robinson dewey e b holt lippmann morton prince pierce bailey jung hart overstreet thorndyke campbell meyer and watson stanley hall adler white it is from this field of comparative or abnormal psychology that the challenge to industrialism and the program of change will come but suppose you ask me to be concrete and give an idea of such a program take simply the beginning of life take childhood for that is where the human material is least protected most plastic and where most injury today is done in the way of general suggestion i would say exclude children from formal disciplinary life such as that of all industry in most schools up to the age of eighteen after excluding them what shall we do with them ask john dewey i suggest or read his schools of tomorrow or democracy and education it means tremendous unprecedented money expense to ensure an active trial and error learning activity a chance naturally to recapitulate the racial trial and error learning experience a study and a preparation of those periods of life in which fall the ripening of the relatively late maturing instincts a general realizing that wisdom can come only from experience and not from the book it means psychologically calculated childhood opportunity in which the now stifled instincts of leadership workmanship hero worship hunting migration meditation sex could grow and take their foundation place in the psychic equipment of a biologically promising human being to illustrate in trivialities no father with knowledge of the meaning of the universal bent towards workmanship would give his son a puzzle if he knew of the meccano or erector toys and no father would give the meccano if he had grasped the educational potentiality of the gift to his child of ten dollars worth of lumber and a set of good carpenter's tools 
there is now enough loose wisdom around devoted to childhood its needed liberties and experiences both to give the children of this civilization their first evolutionary chance and to send most teachers back to the farm in the age period of eighteen to thirty would fall that pseudo-educational monstrosity the undergraduate university and the degrading popular activities of beginning a business or picking up a trade much money must be spent here perhaps few fields of activity have been conventionalized as much as university education here just where a superficial theorist would expect to find enthusiasm emancipated minds and hope is found fear convention a mean instinct life no spirit of adventure little curiosity in general no promise of preparedness no wonder philosophical idealism flourishes and darwin is forgotten the first two years of university life should be devoted to the science of human behavior much of today's biology zoology history if it is interpretive psychology if it is behavioristic philosophy if it is pragmatic literature if it has been written involuntarily would find its place here the last two years could be profitably spent in appraising with that ultimate standard of value gained in the first two years the various institutions and instruments used by civilized man all instruction would be objective scientific and emancipated from convention wonderful prospect in industrial labor and in business employments a new concept a new going philosophy must be unreservedly accepted which has instead of the ideal of forcing human beings to mould their habits to assist the continued existence of the inherited order of things an ideal of moulding all business institutions and ideas of prosperity in the interests of scientific evolutionary aims and large human pleasures as pigeot has said environment has its children as well as men monotony in labor tedium in office work time spent in business correspondence the boredom of running a sugar refinery would be asked to step before the bar of human affairs and get a health standardization Today, industry produces goods that cost more than they are worth are consumed by persons who are degraded by the consuming it is destroying permanently the raw material source which science has painfully explained could be made inexhaustible some intellectual revolution must come which will de-emphasize business and industry and re-emphasize most other ways of self-expression in florence around thirteen hundred giotti painted a picture and the day it was hung in st mark's the town closed down for holiday and the people with garlands of flowers and songs escorted the picture from the artist's studio to the church three weeks ago i stood in the company of five hundred silent sallow-faced men at a corner on wall street a cold and wet corner till young morgan issued from j p morgan and company and walked twenty feet to his carriage we produce probably per capita one thousand times more in weight of ready-made clothing irish lace artificial flowers terracotta movie films telephones and printed matter than those florentines did but we have with our one hundred million inhabitants yet to produce that little town her dante her andrea del sarto her michelangelo her leonardo da vinci her savonarola her giotti or the group who followed giotti's picture 
florence had a marvelous energy release experience all our industrial formalism our conventionalized young manhood our schemed universities our instruments of bulk and thwart our machines to produce protesting abnormality to block efficiency so the problem of industrial labor is one with the problem of the discontented business man the indifferent student the unhappy wife the immoral minister it is one of maladjustment between a fixed human nature and a carelessly ordered world the result is suffering insanity racial perversion and danger the final cure is gaining acceptance for a new standard of morality the first step toward this is to break down the mores inhibitions to free experimental thinking End quote. if only the time had been longer if only the book itself could have been finished for he had a great message he was writing about a thousand words a day in the following summer at castle crags when the war department called him into mediation work and not another word did he ever find time to add to it it stands now about one-third done i shall get the third ready for publication together with some of his shorter articles there have been many who have offered their services in completing the book but the field is so new carl's contribution so unique that few men in the whole country understand the ground enough to be of service it was not so much to be a book on labor as on labor psychology and that is almost an unexplored field End of chapter 11